Mindfulness Mode 451. Just, and that was a tough thing to do. Let everything go. You know, the furniture, the car, the airplane, the everything. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. As always, I have a guest today who is such an amazing deep thinker, and she's all about emotional intelligence, and she's put her research and her thoughts together into a fantastic book called The Mind is the Map. And the subtitle is Awareness is the Compass and Emotional Intelligence is the Key to Living Mindfully from the Heart. Well, she is truly an expert at this topic, and you will you will see that as soon as the interview begins. One of the things she said in the book is something that I think we're all familiar with. Many people believe they are merely helpless victims of their circumstances. But in actuality, our external circumstances are the direct result of our life force energy being directed by either our conscious or subconscious intent to create our exact life circumstances. And how great is that? We just all want to create our life circumstances. And that's one of the reasons I believe that we practice mindfulness. Have you ever thought of launching your own podcast? That's something that almost anyone can do. And I want to tell you that you will need to do some research and figure out how to do it. One of the things is you'll need a host, a place to upload your episodes. And Podbean is where I upload mine. And Podbean is wonderful. The cost is reasonable. They're so helpful. They're built specifically for podcasters and they've been around for 10 years. Like I said, the pricing is super competitive. It's $9 a month, no matter how much content you upload. And they have great stats as well. You can help support Mindfulness Mode and get a month for free with my affiliate link. So just go to podbean.com forward slash podbean MM, standing for Mindfulness Mode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with the wonderful Christina Reeves. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm very excited today because I have a wonderful guest. We're going to talk about mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And most of all, we're going to talk about her wonderful new book, which is called The Mind is the Map. I'm here with Christina Reeves. Christina, are you in mindfulness mode? (laughs) You know, yeah, I sort of kind of live in that mode now after more than 20 years of practicing mindfulness, yes. I can believe it. And your your book is fantastic. And for anyone wanting to explore mindfulness and emotional intelligence, this is a wonderful place to move to. I want to share a little bit about you with our audience, Christina. Christina Reeves is a holistic life coach and energy psychologist, born in Toronto, Ontario, and is also an accomplished author, speaker, and facilitator, hosting workshops, seminars, and lectures in North America and internationally. And she works from her clinic and training facility and continues to share her methodologies and techniques, mentoring and supporting others to take responsibility in reaching their full potential while guiding them towards enjoying a joyful and happy life. So, Christina, what does mindfulness mean to you? 
awareness, you know, mindfulness to me means um, in every situation that you find yourself in, every experience that you find yourself in, there's this place that we call awareness that you can step back and see things from a different perspective before reacting. Our responsibility is our ability to respond to what's happening in life. And mindfulness takes us there. It really does. And in chapter one, you start off, you say we're continually creating patterns to make sense of our lives as we become aware of our habitual patterns. Let's talk about our patterns and how we create our own patterns. That's interesting. The patterns are originally created uh, between zero and seven years old. And I call this the writing on our wall. We're born with an operating system. So we have uh, mobility. We can see, we can hear, most of us. And we're functioning. All of our organs are functioning. But we really don't have any database. We're born with a blank slate as far as the database is concerned. We operate at uh, different brain states between zero and seven years old. And two of those main brain states that we operate in are download mode only. So we are picking up as babies everything in our environment. We're energy receivers and transmitters as human beings. We can feel, we may not understand the words. It could even be pre-verbal. In fact, a lot of it is. We do feel the energy. We feel energy. If there's conflict, we feel energy. If there's love, the it's our caregivers, our parents, our, in our church, in our society, our grandparents. These are the people that teach us and build our database. And there's no shame or blame in any of this because they too were programmed back through time from their ancestries and from different eras. But that's the key. They're from different eras and different times. Some of them went through wars. Some of them went through the depression. We didn't have that in our experience. And yet the writing on the wall that they wrote on our wall stays with us. You know, we experience lack the experience. Um, we have to struggle for everything. And the reality of that is we don't. What we do need to do is at some point in our life, examine that writing on our wall and do a reality check, asking ourselves, is that really true for me or is that just something someone wrote on our wall? You mentioned an interesting point, Bruce. <laughs> Okay, that's the beginning of the writing on the wall. <laughs> the writing on the wall continues throughout life, you know, and it's our discernment and our mindfulness that's going to determine as we grow into adults what we continue to write on our wall. Yes, it is. And in the book, you talk about what we can do to change that writing on the wall should we decide we need to. So can you share a little bit about that? Yes, yes. There's been a lot of new discoveries on how the brain works in a biological and mechanical functioning brain. And uh, the old methods of psychology would take sometimes, Bruce, you know, 10 years or so to interrupt one pattern that was, uh, that we're behaving off the wall or reacting to it. Uh, today, with new energy psychology techniques, uh, and the more understanding of the brain, we understand that the brain is not hardwired. Uh, it used to be thought that it was hardwired. You are what you are, and you're going to be always that. Uh, new energy, psychology, techniques, and discovery processes uh, 
we can actually change the writing on the wall. We can erase and replace what's written on the wall to something that serves you better. And this can be done in three or four sessions. It's not going to take 10 years anymore because we understand so much more. That is wonderful that we can change it. And you really, I think you give the reader new hope in this book because I know I read a review that someone had written and they said they literally couldn't put the book down. And they said that it has helped them to understand the importance of healing through the heart. How can we heal through the heart? Let's talk about that. Before I get to that, I'd like to stress one of the other most important things that the book will do for you. It eliminates the shame and the blame game. You know, if we've had a rough childhood or dysfunctional family and even made mistakes of our own as we were growing up, we do what we do based on the writing on the wall. There is no shame or blame. You can drop the shame and blame. It's so much easier to live with forgiveness and gratitude. You know, the lessons are there to teach us something. When we're experiencing something, we tend to stay in the head. And within six seconds, if we don't step into awareness, which is mindfulness, then the brain function, the biological function of the brain automatically takes over. The conscious mind is the little mind. It processes 40 million bits of information per second. The subconscious mind, look at the bandwidth here. The subconscious mind processes 40 million bits of information a second. So you're in a race, you know, and who's going to win that race? 95% of the time, the subconscious mind is controlling everything we do. And that's because we regulate everything to the subconscious mind when we're not standing in mindfulness. So that's just repeating the patterns again and again and again. The The conscious mind, when we have an experience, it goes, oh, and it goes to the wall the subconscious mind, and it looks for a matching template, a matching neural pathway. And it goes, oh, we've done this before. We know what to do here. And it completely takes over. When that happens, there's this little sentinel, I call it a sentinel in the brain. There's a little membrane that shuts down and shuts off the consciousness. So you're not getting any good information from the, any new information from the conscious mind. You're just playing an old recording on the subconscious mind. That's why when we get into an argument with someone and they go into overwhelm, there's no point in trying to talk to this person that's in overwhelm. You're better off to say, look, what I did or what I said obviously triggered you. You know, I do want to continue this discussion, but let's wait until we're both calm again and the overwhelm has passed because that information is going to come through the conscious mind. And it won't get through to them when they're already in overwhelm. Christina, I loved how you told stories in your book to emphasize points. In chapter three, you told a story about working with a family member and you were going to be speaking at an event. And then that person chose to go away at the last minute on a personal trip. That really, the way you tell stories, it really helps to understand what your points are. And uh, was it difficult to choose what stories to tell in the book and what stories not to tell? 
We all have a lot of stories, and the key is they're only stories that we're telling ourselves, okay? It's not really reality. That story was actually chosen by Dimitri. That was my co-author. That was uh, one of his stories. Uh, We did go through that experience together in our friendship over these years and uh, helped each other through that, as he has helped me many times through any experiences that still come up for me, and they do. (laughs) It's a never-ending journey. I would say that we left it up to each other to come up with an experience that we felt would add something to the book and explain the concepts that we were trying to put across in the book. And I'm glad that you liked them. That was uh, it was a real personal touch. Some of it was kind of angsty, especially my story. <laughs> but um, yeah, it it was. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. You saw that. That's good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, in chapter five, you compare emotional intelligence to being a conductor of an orchestra. I think that's I think that's fantastic. I love that picture. Thank you. Thank you. You know, being energy beings, everything is connected. For example, if you were standing outside of a shop and you smell cigarette smoke, that cigarette smoke could be coming floor box away. Okay. But you breathe it in and you breathe it out. We all are energy beings. We're always taking in the energy of others and we're putting out energy of our own. Mindfulness helps us put out positive energy instead of negative energy. Why I say that and why that's important is because we also have a collective consciousness of energy, you know, that we all tap into as Mm -hmm. human beings. And we want to keep that as pure and as positive and as loving as possible. I do this little thing before I go to bed every night. (laughs) I release all negative energy. I go through my day and um, anything I wrote today, anything I heard today, anything I said today, any of my actions, I ask uh, in my prayers that they be transmuted and transformed into loving energy before I send them out into the universe. Uh I think that if we can all be mindful like that, I don't want to pollute the collective consciousness. Anything that I was doing during the day is my stuff, and I really don't want to send my stuff out there. It's important to heal our stuff, because in healing our stuff, we actually do heal the collective. I really believe that. That's that's wonderful. Tell us about some of your other routines. What are your morning routines like? Ah, <laughs> again, because we're all energy. I wake up in the morning and before my, I sit on the side of my bed and before my feet even hit the floor, I ask my I am presence to join fully with me now as I go about my day. I go into about a, not a long meditation, maybe five minutes, seven minutes meditation and ground myself and um, begin my day from that point. Between four, I try to do it at four. I used to do it at four every day, but between, it's more like about eight o'clock since I got the book going. (laughs) And then I take a good 30 minutes, and um, this is my quiet time, my silent uh, space. I've been meditating for, mm, and give away my age here. (laughs) I've been meditating for probably 40 years. You know, and I can very quickly now get to that place of the light, you know, very quickly. 
And I just stay there. And through your breath in this place, this is where you pull in the life force energy. You know, and life force energy is the universe vibrates, for example, at a life force energy that calibrates at 400. Humanity, the collective humanity, is the last that I've heard that it was recorded about seven years ago, I guess, and it's recording at 210. We've got a long way to go to match our human vibrational footprint to the vibrational footprint of the universe, which is love. Christina, I was just so taken with your book. And like that other reader, I felt like I couldn't put it down. It was it was just so incredible. You said you have bookcases full of self-help material, and you said you felt like a spiritual vagabond, but that you had gained nothing. And you said the only way you could initiate change, well, you tell us, let's hear it in your words. Spiritual vagabond is exactly it. I had everything in my life, Ruth, that I could have wanted. I was living in an 8,000-square-foot mansion on a 50-acre estate in Rancho Santa Fe. I had the ocean nearby. I had everything I could possibly want, a plane at John Wayne Airport, everything. But I wasn't happy. Deep down inside, I wasn't happy. I was told I was a workaholic. (laughs) Probably, indeed, I was. And I decided that at some point, you know, that I wanted to let it all go. Just and that was a tough thing to do. Let everything go. You know, the furniture, the car, the airplane, the everything. And do a, an inner search. You know, everything that I read, there are two parts of knowledge. Okay. There's the stuff you get from seminars, including my own <laughs> workshop books, including my own. Uh, education, in other words, okay. There's so much you can get from that, and that's one part of knowledge. But the second part of knowledge is experiential, and this is where wisdom comes from. You must take in that knowledge, and you must go within yourself and apply it to your own being, you know, and heal yourself. I had a lot of writing on my wall. I had a very dysfunctional childhood. And, you know, although I was pushing it away, I suppose that was my drug of choice, my busyness, my workaholic, which stopped me from feeling things fully and uh, putting my focus somewhere else. At some point in time, I decided that I was going to uh, shift. And this is even after all the meditations and everything, you know, there's always going to come that point where you're going to say to yourself, my time is now. You know, if we really want to live our life purpose in this lifetime and in all lifetimes, there's work that we need to do, and that's inner work. I've got nothing to do with out there. Slowly over a two-year sabbatical, I became happier and happier and happier. And I've never been so happy as I am now. I live a, I live lightly. I'm mindful, and uh, I teach this now. I've been teaching for, oh, I've been teaching for about 17 years, and I also teach professionals. I'll work with doctors, nurses, 
you know, and teaching them how to become more mindful, less stressful. They work in very stressful environments. So I work with professionals and I work with a lot of students, but I usually, the best results I've had with students is that I walk with them. I walk with them for (laughs) 10 months. You know, I have a program that's an intensive program, and we're going to examine everything that's written on their wall. We're going to erase and replace it. And it takes about 10 months in this particular program. And I only walk with 10 because that's all the time I have. They get homework lessons every week. They spend an hour with me every week on a one-on-one conference, and we work through it all. I do the exercises with them. As far as the energy psychology, I join my energy to their energy, and we work it through together. And uh, the rewards from this is what makes me really happy. I bet. Speaking of young people, how old were you when you first meditated? Do you remember that moment? Yes, I do remember that moment. And I was in my early 20s when I first meditated. Yeah. And did you do a guided meditation or were you led by someone? I didn't even know what I was doing. (laughs) It's hindsight that says that I was doing meditation. I was just quieting my mind. I had an interest in studying the mind from 16 years old. And that's because the family was dysfunctional and I was taken out of the family at 11. And I wanted to know why people do what they do, you know. And uh, so I started becoming very interested in studying the mind, even though I was an entrepreneur doing other things. My hobby was sort of, you know, trying to figure out uh, the mind stuff. Meditation helped me quiet my mind. And I didn't even call it meditation. I just call it my quiet time. And I would just sit in my silence. The real breakthrough for me happened on Mount Olympus uh, in three different meditation sessions on Mount Olympus. And um, my initial meditation there was, you believe it, three hours and 20 minutes. You know, I was, I sat on what I called an ancient stone (laughs) by a water, by a pool of water, flowing water coming down from the mountain. In a tap, of course. And when I went into the meditation, um, there were people in the placa in the square. You know, there were old ladies in black, you know, talking with their friends. There were little boys pretending to be big boys and playing soccer. And little girls pretending to be big girls with their little strollers with their dollies on the inside. And the, the placa was busy, but I tuned it all out. And I was able, and when I, came out of the meditation was empty. How long have I been in this? But I asked a question going into that, and I really feel that I was given a gift of grace at that point. I asked a question, and I called a conference of my persona. I wanted to meet all those parts of me, and I wanted them to tell me how I could help them and if I could help them. But I also wanted to tell them that I was the conductor of the orchestra and we were no longer going to behave this way. Even though I understand why you came to me and I do want to hear from you, it's time to let go. It's time that we became 
whole and one with all that is. So it was um, sort of a life review in three hours and 20 minutes. At first, they were reluctant to come forward. It was this one who was wearing his, <laughs> wearing this football helmet. <laughs> right. And um, I asked her if she would take it off. Nope, nope. But finally, I convinced her to take it off, and she put it down by her feet in my meditation. Uh-huh. So I asked her if she would kick it away a little bit. She did the opposite. She pulled it between her legs, between her feet, and just held on. She was my gatekeeper. And uh, actually, she was three personas rolled into one. You know, the unhappy, the unloved child, the uh, several personas, the, three of them. It cried all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, it was a wonderful, magical gift. And I, I say it was a grace gift from God. You know, it was just an amazing thing. We were able to heal a lot after that. I visit my personas often. Now, <laughs> and they're all happy and good, and that's good. Wow, that's fascinating. I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in bullying prevention for some time. Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, and something that happened a month ago, uh-huh. and uh, there was this this mother called me up. And said, I don't know what's going on with my daughter, but her personality has completely changed. She's just not herself. She's angry all the time. And I don't know how to deal with it. I'm just getting angry back. There's a lot of door slamming. There's a lot of angry, nasty words being said between the daughter and the mom. She said, I'm at my wit's end. I'd like to bring her to see you. And I said, yes. So we had a meeting with the child and the mother. and. Um, I asked the mother at one point to leave the room so that I could work with the child. The child never spoke the whole hour. She didn't speak. She just had her arms crossed like this and her face down like this. She would hardly look at me. Every once in a while, I would ask her to look at me. And I would say, I'd say, what's wrong? You know, um, Mommy says, you know, your personality has changed. And I said, you don't have to tell me what's wrong, but I want to talk to you. So I talked to her about um, standing in her power. I sensed that something was wrong at some point in time. I sensed it was bullying. And um, at some point in time, she would have to stand in her power and use her voice. She has a voice. And... um, Whatever was bothering her, keeping quiet about it was not going to be helpful. If she really wanted to stand in her power, she was going to have to use her voice. There are people there and around her all the time that can help her. So she listened for an hour. She didn't hug or anything. She just left. The mom came back in and I said, okay, let's give this 48 hours and let's see what happens. Maybe I planted a little seed in her or something. Mother called the next day and the principal called her from the school. Uh, Apparently, this little girl and two other little girls that it was happening to decided because of this little girl to go to the principal's office and tell them what was going on. And it was cyberbullying and it was sex related. There was uh, this boy that um, this little girl had known since grade two 
they were friends. The families were friends. And uh, he was texting three girls, telling them that he was going to commit suicide if they didn't show themselves to him on their phones, you know, show their bodies, uh, this kind of thing. And uh, they were frightened. You know, they, they loved this boy. They didn't know what to do. Um, one of the girls did share a photo of herself. The principal asked to see all their cell phones and so on. And um, anyway, they stood in their power. The mother brought her back to me, and she said um, she was clear now. She said, I feel like I don't have this weight on my back anymore. You know, I'm happier, and things are back to normal, she said. The boy's parents were called into the school, and there was an intervention, and he got help, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of bullying, and it doesn't need to be. There's a lot of cyberbullying going on out there, and a lot of it is sex-related uh, with this younger generation. The songs are all about power over. <laughs> you know, they're not the beautiful love songs that you and I grew up with, no, that's no, for sure. Not. You know, and the children need to be mindful enough to stand in their power. It's their power, you know, uh, to say no. To say no is one thing, but it's also in their power to give their voice to someone who can help it stop. Right. That is a very powerful story. Thanks for sharing that, Christina. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this. Who is one person that has influenced mindfulness in your life? Probably James Redfield. The first spiritual book I ever read was Celestine Prophecy, and he introduced me to energy in that book. I had never put that piece of the puzzle together. And when I read that book, I suddenly realized I needed to learn everything I could about quantum mechanics, quantum physics, because we are energy, and energy moves with intention. You know, And if we can move it with a loving intent, we can create a better world. Definitely. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Christina? Ah, mindfulness affects the emotions. Um, number one, part of mindfulness is feeling things fully, as I said. It's important to do that, but it's important to understand that you're not your emotions and you're not your stories. You know, this is just an overlay of who you really are at the core of your being. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness. Breathing exercises, as I said earlier, really pull in the life force energy. You know, uh, when we're breathing, we can feel as we're breathing, we can focus on the organs of the body. We can breathe into the lungs. We can breathe into the uh, intestine. We can breathe into any area in our body to keep the energy flowing so that there's no blocks in the body. All of this, let me quick answers, I know. Let me just point out something. The energy of anger, for example, vibrates at the same frequency as the liver. Okay, so when we are angry or really unhappy, our liver cells in the body start attacking themselves. That's where that energy is going to sit because of the attraction. 
you know, straight physics, grade 10 physics, you know, like energy attracts like energy. So when someone comes to me, for example, and says, you know, I have a liver problem, I'm going to say, what are you unhappy about? What are you angry about? Because I know that that's where that goes. So it's so important that we monitor our emotions because our emotions, when we look at the 12 meridians running through the body, each one of them, the emotions will affect some organ in our body. My next question is about a book. Can you recommend a book other than your own wonderful book, The Mind is the Map? Could you recommend another book that is related to mindfulness? Oh, there's so many of them. You know, the one on emotional, the one called Emotional Intelligence, written by Daniel Goldman, is probably one of my favorites. He was 20 years ahead of his time in recognizing how important emotional intelligence is. Yes, absolutely. And are there any apps which you use or any of your clients use that can help with mindfulness? Oh, I have a whole host of CDs. uh, Apps, I'm not so sure. I use something called a logic patch. I haven't put it out there, you know, for production yet, but it's something I'm thinking of doing that if we're moving along in life, life doesn't stop for us. And we need to patch it as we continue living life. You know, we just don't fall in the hole and live there, (laughs) sort of a thing. And uh, that's something that I'm coming out with soon, but it's not out on the market yet. Mindfulness thing, meditation, you know, is um, stepping into awareness, you know, knowing that there's three parts of awareness. One of them is, it's like looking at a white screen, Bruce, and seeing, projecting what the experience is onto a white screen. And there are three parts of that experience. There's you in the experience, there's the experience itself, and then there's the processing of the experience. And this is what helps give us a different perspective. For example, you could be looking at the white screen, take that step back into awareness, look at the white screen, say, oh my God, what did I just say? Look at how he's reacting. Obviously, I triggered his wall. You know, it helps you have a lot more empathy and sympathy for the others. Sometimes the experience, by stepping back like that, you realize it's not even your experience. You don't belong there. (laughs) You know, and don't take on the stuff that isn't yours. But to really see yourself, observe yourself in the experiences and observe the others uh, in the experience really, really helps. And that, that technique is in the book as well. Yes. Yes. Now you created a center and, uh, let's talk about that. The Eudomia center. Is that how you pronounce it? Eudomonia. Yes. 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 And that's where, that's your website is eudomiacenter.com and it's spelled E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N- I-A, center is C-E-N-T-E-R.com. So that's your website. So tell us about creating that center and what that's all about. That's the school. And uh, we have a website, of course, for the Mind is a Map, mindisamap.com. And then we have the website for the um, actual school. And the school is teaching mindfulness. It teaches energy psychology. 
teaches some techniques of energy psychology. What we want to do is not have you, you know, transfer everything to our power either. <laughs> you know, we want to teach you how to be long-term advisors to yourself and how to use a lot of these energy technology techniques on yourself over time. So when something does come up, you'll be able to help heal yourself. We'll get you through the rough spots, you know, but we also want to teach you to be long-term advisors. We have a lot of classes up there. And uh, we put the chapter, we actually put chapter workbook classes up there when we brought out the book. Some people, a couple of things happen. Some people um, need others to support them going through something. They don't have the stickability, you know. But if we have a, a group, which they do have a group forum on this, they can join these classes for minimum. I think, I don't even know what it is. I think it's $47 or something uh, for each chapter to go through. So we've tried to make it affordable. But you're going through it with a group. You know, you're not in the group. It's still one-on-one. -on -one, but you can talk to your group who's going through those classes so that you feel like you have some accountability, you have some camaraderie going through. It's really, really important that we understand we're not doing this alone. Connect with others. Christina, you've written a wonderful book with partnership with Demetrius. Fantastic book. And I highly recommend it to my listeners, Mindful Tribe. Get your hands on this book. Go to the Mind is the Map. Dot com and download that. Well, you'll download it and read it on Kindle or you'll get the real book like I did, which I like a hard copy book. So thank you so much for being on the show, Christina. Thank you, Bruce, for having me. And an even bigger thank you for the work that you do towards mindfulness and especially an advocate for children. I appreciate that. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember, if you're thinking of launching your own podcast, you can get a free month at Podbean with its awesome pricing and fantastic stats. And you can just do that by going to podbean.com slash podbean MM, standing for mindfulness mode. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.